Maureen, right? Uh, 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 Brother John's wife lives in Canada, and we're, we're praying that she would get here quickly. <laughs> you know, it's all about the paperwork, right? And, and she listens into our, our messages, you know, and uh, like, you know, she catches them. And so we're recording this, and I thought it'd be cool if, if we all gave a, like, a loud shout out to Maureen that we love you. And, and can we do that on three? Okay, well, and well, here's what we'll say, because I know that was a little confusing. We love you, Maureen. Hurry, what was it? Hurry, hurry here, not hurry back. Come, come quickly. Now she's hearing all this too, so it's not, okay. So, all right, so we love you, Maureen, come quickly. And I probably should have done that before I said start the recording, but anyway, this way she gets the full feeling, okay? So on three, we love you, Maureen, come, come to Las Vegas quickly, okay? Is that too much? Stretching it here. All right, ready? On three, go. Love you, Maureen. Come. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that will be a blessing. That will be a blessing. Now, um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. Matthew. Thank you, brother. Matthew chapter six. <clears throat> I read an article in the Telegraph. Um, newspaper. Uh, it's an online paper, I think, out of the UK. And this is what it said. Pope Francis has won praise for spontaneous and unusual moves during his six-month prophecy. He wrote a lengthy letter to a newspaper, La Repubblica, which the Italian daily printed over four pages, including one under the simple byline, Francesco. And this is what he said. God forgives those who obey their conscience. Uh, he wrote in the unprecedented letter, uh, the latest example of the markedly different tone and style from his predecessors that he has set since being elected in March. The 76-year-old pontiff was responding to editorials written in July and August by uh, Eugenio Scalafari, an agnostic uh, and the popper's uh, the paper's founder, I'm sorry, in which he was asked whether the Christian God forgives those who do not believe and do not seek faith. The Pope wrote, the question for those who do not believe in God is to follow their own conscience. Sin, even for, the, for a non-believer, is when one goes against one's conscience. To listen and to follow your conscience means that you understand the difference between good and evil. He said that the mercy of God has no limit and encompassed even non-believers. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as seriously wrong, seriously wrong, but it is. The Sermon on the Mount addresses those who believe in their own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. Those who believe that by by doing good by following rules and regulations and laws that they will be justified or made righteous before God. Listen, Jesus addresses that kind of thinking and says your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he goes on to say that we are to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, which is an unattainable level, apart from from the righteousness of Christ. Here is the problem. 
If, as the Bible says, our conscience has been seared as with a hot iron, how are we to truly know if what our conscience tells us is right or wrong? Now, granted, God has given us that. But by simply acknowledging right or wrong, is that enough to get to heaven? Is that all that we need to do? Uh, you know what? No, God forgives those who believe in Jesus Christ, who confess their sin and who repent of that sin. Simply following your conscience will not bring you in right standing with God. And let me tell you, this kind of speech, smack, it, it fits perfectly with an end times kind of religion that wants to believe that everyone's included, that if you just follow your conscience, if you just somehow within your heart, you know good from evil, that God's grace and mercy will, will cover you in that. I say no. I say no. I say Jesus didn't die on a cross and say there was no way to God but through him uh, so that we would come to the place 2,000 years later that we disbelieve that if our conscience tells us it's wrong, it's wrong, and therefore we don't do it. No, we need a set of standards to tell us right from wrong. Because, you know, my conscience doesn't get it right every time. You know, there are things that I've done in my life where my conscience really did bother me. <laughs> okay? And there's some that I, I just kind of knew, okay, that's not right. I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, hey, whatever, right? Just got to move on, right? And not that those things kept me from doing that same thing again. And so this is, um, ooh, this is, a, this is serious. Uh, you know, you can see the end times lining uh, right on up as people are trusting in their own righteousness. And the Lord Jesus is, 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 is not saying that at all. Okay, here's a recap of some of the things we've looked at. Uh, Jesus has said when you give, uh, the issue is not so much when you give, but you, the assumption is that you'll be giving, but why you give. What's the motivation behind your giving or your serving? And he says when you pray, it's not so much where we pray, but why you pray. And what's the motivation behind that prayer? Uh, he's addressing those who give and pray in order to be seen by others. And so having exposed the heart of some who gave and prayed for the applause of men, he says in chapter 6, verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, that is, uh, don't, uh, 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 don't uh, give or don't pray in particular, so to you be seen by men. Don't try to use all these fancy words in prayer uh, because you, you want to heap applause to yourself and you want people to know that, boy, what a great prayer person you are. Um, uh, uh, don't use vain repetition as the, as the pagans do. You know, they go on and on and on thinking that God's going to hear them. Now, I have a video clip for you because there was such a resounding response last week to the video clip that I showed you. I wanted to show you another one. And, and this is my, my, like my guy, Tim Hawkins. He's, he's a comedian. And again, I hope that's okay that we laugh in church. I'm not sure if some people are really, they don't want to laugh. They just want doctrine. And we will get to that. But we want to laugh first, if that's okay. But he, 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 he picks up on a real funny kind of a thing. I'd like you to see. It's, it's only a minute and a half, but it's funny. Some people, like when they pray, they get nervous and they say just too much. You know, you're praying in small groups, like, Lord, I just, I just, we just, we just, come to just in spirit. Just, we just, just in justliness and justification. And just, we just, and we just. And you're like, just finish the prayer. You're just not ready for this. Start stacking chairs. 
Come back next week and cry again. My dad does this when he prays. He uses father way too much when he prays. Father, we come to you, Father, and it's bearing a father, Father, you are Father, we come to you, Father, Father, just, just, Father, Father, just, 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 Father, Father. You don't talk to your friends like that. Ed, Ed, come over, Ed, 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 you are Ed, 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 He wouldn't be your friend anymore if you did that. Like you keep saying, Ed, my name's Joe. That's good, that's good, yeah, that's good. Tim Hawkins, he's funny, he's funny. I don't know, just repetition stuff, right? I don't know where that stuff comes from or how we... Now I know that, like, 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 for those of you who ever use those words from this point on, every time you say it, you're gonna think about this. You know, it's okay. It's okay. We'll see that that it's okay to approach the Lord using the term Father. But I have heard people that just kind of, I don't know how or why, just like it's almost like a punctuation mark. And Father, we pray. Father, we just like, okay, you know, I don't know. Maybe I've done it too. But it's it's just funny. It's funny. And so now we come to chapter six, the prayer. Uh, the prayer. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. And um, it's really not the Lord's Prayer, it's the disciples' prayer. Uh, this is not a prayer to memorize and to, to read uh, or to state over and over again, but it's a model prayer for the Lord's disciples. And I want you to see that prayer begins with God's interests, not ours. It begins with His name and His kingdom and His will. And that's the right focus. His his interests, not ours. Robert Law said this, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Let's read it together. Let's read it not together because we have different translations, but let's all read it. Um, verse eight of chapter six, therefore do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father, who aren't in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many of you guys have this memorized? How many of you guys? Ah, good religious folk. That's good. That's good. Well, let's memorize the concepts too. Uh, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil and the doxology at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, the prayer. Notice that he starts off by saying, Our Father, Our Father. Uh, notice that the focus is on community. Focus is on community. He doesn't say, My Father, but Our Father. Morgan said this, Man enters the presence of the Father and then prays as one of the great family. And that'll come in a little bit later at the end. So I want you to remember that it starts off with our father, community. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's true. But the Lord is also our shepherd. And here he is our father. And then he uses the term father, you know, father. Okay. Um, uh, God is the mighty sovereign creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He, by his word, keeps all things together. Uh, he is uh, personal uh, uh, and, 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 and he's loving and he cares about the individual as well. Uh, it, 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 in Christianity, we see God as Father. 
Okay, and Second um, Corinthians 11 says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so in, the, in the context of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus sees God the Father as Father. Okay, and that's important. Um, now, uh, some of the pagan religions in this day, they also sort of saw God as a father. Uh, Zeus pater was one of the terms for Zeus. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God revealed himself to the chosen people as father as well. Exodus 4.22 says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Psalm 103.13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And it is first in that relationship between the eternal son and the father that we get a feel for that, uh, that we can begin to understand that. Uh, this fatherhood of God. And it becomes clear in John uh, 1.18 where Jesus says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God who was in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. And so in God the Father, we have a name pointing to that relationship. Uh, that relationship of the first person of the Trinity. God the Father to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about God as our Father, understand the context of this is Jesus who calls God his Father. See, we believe in one God who's revealed himself in three different ways. And they're co-equal, equal in power. Jesus isn't a created being. He's not uh, an angel or a man that became a God. No, he always was God. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's everlasting. He had no beginning he will have no end. And, and in the context and the unity of the Trinity, uh, Jesus calls God Father. Yeah, they're co-equal, but they're different in function. They're different in function. Okay? Jesus said, I must go away that the Holy Spirit may come. And he said, it will be better for you when I go away because the Holy Spirit will come and he will be in you. See, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so... There's order even in uh, the deity or in the, in the, in the trinity uh, that we have. Um, and that's uh, how, that, how that flows out. And so he says, our Father, uh, who is in heaven? And this is what really begins to get our focus uh, uh, upward and, and, and not kind of where we are. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, um, th that means to be kept holy. Uh, Lord, holy is your name. Um, uh, commandment number three says not to take the Lord's name in vain. It turns out God is serious about his name. Uh, God is not pleased when his name is taken in vain. Exodus 27 says, you shall not use or repeat the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the Amplified Bible tells us what that means. That, that is lightly or frivolously in false affirmations or profanely, okay? Um, I, I, I would assume, and I don't know that most of all of us have violated that one. Uh, you could just ask any regular Joe on the street, have you ever used God's name in vain? And they probably have, okay? And the Lord's not pleased with that. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
And again, that means lightly, frivolously, or in false affirmations, or profanely. In Acts chapter 19, you can look at it a little bit later, verse 13 through 15, there's a group of traveling exorcists that would go to different places and, 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 and exorcise demons. And they had observed that, uh, that, uh, that Paul was, was, was casting out demons and he was using the name of Jesus. Now, now, they don't know Jesus personally. They don't have a relationship with him. But they figured, hey, if it works for Paul, it should, it should work for us. And, and so there's a, there's a man who's, who's possessed with demons, plural. And, and they, they approach him and say, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preached to come out. And the demon spoke to them. How many of you would agree that's a bad day in the office when you're an exorcist and the demon speaks to you in a language you understand? How many say that's a bad day in the office? That's a bad day. How'd it go today, honey? Not good. Not good. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's such a funny story. And the demon, adds, he responds to them. You know, I am not trying to have a conversation with a demon. I'm sorry. I know some of you are like, well, oh, where they at, man? I'll cast them out. I'll talk to them. No, you go ahead, brother. I'm going to be outside in the car with the, with the motor running, right? And as soon, as soon as you come out, jump on in and we're out of here, all right? But, hey, man, if you ain't back in 20 minutes, I'm out of here, okay? That thing may jump up on me or something. I don't know. That's crazy. It happened. Right? And so this demon speaks to them and says this. Now you talk about something going from bad to worse. It says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Okay, there's nowhere to run at that point, right? You got yourself in a big pile of doo-doo right there, right? There's no getting out of that. And of course the demon jumps on them and, and beats them and strips them naked and they run out, out into the streets. And it's a scary, scary scene. Why? Because they took the name of the Lord lightly. They took the name of, they, they, they thought that by invoking the name of Jesus, they would have power. And, and that tells us that if, if, you, if you're not in fellowship with Jesus, you can't use the name of Jesus with power. Yeah, yeah, you, you can. Uh, and, and so uh, we honor God's name by using it respectfully. And we hallow God's name by using it biblically. You know, that didn't used to bother me, guys. I don't know what it is about culture that just immediately uses God's name in vain. And particularly the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess allegiance. Right? I don't know what it is about the name of God and Jesus. Right? Uh, and I, I remember I was working out just a few months ago and... And, and just, you know, doing my thing, and there were some gals next to me working out, and, and one of them just went, you know, Jesus, blah, 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 would you, la, da, da, and I just went, whoa! And, but you know what, though, 25 years ago, that would, I, I would have been the one saying that. Isn't that interesting? Because you, when, you, when, you, when you connect with God and you're in fellowship with Him, and, and then those things mean something to you. The name of the Lord is, is, is a powerful thing, and you begin to notice those things. And so we honor God's name by using it respectfully and biblically. 
And, and, and I don't know where you stand, but this may be, may be something like I hear comments about, yeah, well, you know, it's the man upstairs. And I go, well, you know, he's, not, he's not just the man upstairs, dude. Or, you know, like, Jesus is my homeboy. Okay, you know, he's a little bit more than that. Or, 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 or someone else may say, well, you know what? I had a conversation with the big guy. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's okay. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know if that's using his name lightly. You know, he's not the big guy. I mean, he is, but maybe if you have like a kind of a pet name between you and the Lord, maybe that's okay. But, you know, he is, um, you know, his name is to be honored. And, and when his name is profane, as it is in our nation, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And maybe it's up to us as believers to be the consciousness of some people to say, hey, man, don't do that. Don't take God's name like that. No, his name is powerful. One day you're going to bow to the name of Jesus. You don't want to be cursing it now. You know? Maybe we need to remind people of that. Well, hallowed be your name. Exalted, magnified, glorified. We lift up your name at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And then he says, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. You know, interestingly, in Jesus' discussion about the kingdom, he didn't give us like five points in a poem about the kingdom. Oh, he did give us, in a sense, uh, uh, summaries of the kingdom. Uh, uh, he told stories and metaphors and similes, and he gave pictures uh, in order to expand our understanding of the kingdom. For, for example, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet and a great wedding feast. And he said that that door would be closed on some. He said, it's like a treasure hidden in a field that you would be wise to sell everything you own to buy that field and get the treasure. He, was, he said it would be like a net that was cast wide and pulls in all sorts of fish and then at some point the good fish and the bad fish would be separated. Uh, like a landowner who hires laborers to work in the fields and, and he hired them at different times of the day and at the end of the day they all got paid the same uh, wages. He said it's like a, a mustard seed that from a very small beginning it would become a great, great tree. He said it was like yeast that permeates everything. He said that the kingdom of heaven is, is hard for the rich to enter in Mark 10, 23. He said the kingdom must be received as a child. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says that we should seek first the kingdom and then worldly needs such as Food and clothing will be given to us. And so the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is that presently existing spiritual community of which Christ is the head and which is composed of those whose hearts and lives are subject to him as sovereign Lord. See, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he said the kingdom of God is within you. And so there is a future kingdom that we're looking forward to, but right now there's a kingdom of God here on this earth, but guess what? We can't go visit it. It doesn't have a geography. Most of the wars that have been fought in the history of mankind are all about resources and geography. But this kingdom, you don't need a passport for. This kingdom doesn't have a, have a gate that some get in and some don't, as in physically. This kingdom isn't a place we can all get on a bus and go to the kingdom because the kingdom of God resides within us. Because that means that Jesus is, is the Lord and, and, and rules in our hearts and in our lives. That kingdom, we pray, Lord, let that kingdom come. Let, let your kingdom come, oh God. Let, and then with, with the, the, uh, the kingdom coming, it comes the will of the Lord. So he says, let your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let what happens up there happen down here. Where in heaven, his will is done 100% of the time. And on earth, there, there are apparent obstacles to the will of the Lord being done. Uh, th those are not obstacles to him. He, he will smooth out all of those rough patches. And I think as a citizen of the kingdom of God, uh, uh, I, I want his will to be done in, 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 my, in my community, in my land, in my nation, uh, in, 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 in my workplace. Lord, let your kingdom come in me, most importantly. Let it come in me. Not a citizen who resigns himself to the will of the Lord being done as like there's some sort of Christian fatalism like, you know what? Hey man, God's going to do what God's going to do. Like, like it's, you might as well just, it's like a train, man. It's just going to go. You might as well get on it. You can't control it. It's, you know, whatever will be, will be. And if it won't be, it won't be. That's just how it is. Now you can't stop it. Well, I don't think that's what the Lord's talking about. Jesus understood this principle. Uh, Spurgeon said this, that he taught us this prayer, uh, used it himself in the most unrestricted sense. When the bloody sweat stood on his face and all the fear and trembling of a man in anguish were upon him, he did not dispute the decree of the Father, but bowed his head and cried, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. In that moment at the garden so why should we pray that the Lord's will will be done when he can do it all by himself? And we touched on this last week. It's all about participation. It pleases the heart of our Lord for us to join him in accomplishing his will. It pleases the heart of our Lord for us to join him in accomplishing his will. Now, one should not pray, let your will be done if one is not willing to partner in accomplishing it. One should not pray, Lord, let your will be done, if one is not willing to partner in letting his will be done. Because so often when we say, Lord, let your will be done, Lord, let it happen, God, do something, God, and the Lord is saying, go look in the mirror, because that's the person I'm going to use to change it. Okay? And so, let it be. Let it be, Lord. Change our hearts, change our minds, change our priorities. Now, he shifts gears and he says, give us this day our daily bread. Finally, we get to us. What's the focus? It's on him. It's not, doesn't mean we don't have needs, but it, it, it centers us and it brings our focus on him. You know, our Father who's, who's in heaven, hallowed and, and exalted and magnified be your name, right? Let, let your kingdom come, God. Let your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven, oh God. Yeah, well, we finally get to this where we can petition our needs. And he, and he says this, Lord, uh, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us our bread. Now, you know, this is kind of basic, right? Like bread. Why don't you just give us today? You know, we have a food pantry out here. Brother Jim, what's up? Raise your hand, man. Right on. We have a food pantry and, and we get bread. We get bread. And, and, and people come and they, they come and, and, and they take bread. You know, may it never be that someone comes to this place and picks up some bread 
and doesn't hear about the bread of life. Doesn't hear about the one sustainer who, who, who promises to give bread. I mean, like, and that's just a basic necessity, right? Like, if you have bread, I mean, you know, that's better than nothing. And in this economy, the Lord was saying, you know what, just your basic essential. I mean, if you've got bread, you're good. You're good. You got something. You got something there. And so we pray, Lord, give us, give us this bread. Uh, you know, the early theologians, they tried to allegorize this. Uh, because they couldn't imagine that Jesus was speaking about an everyday kind of thing, like a mundane, minimal kind of thing, in such a majestic prayer. This is, Jesus says, this is how you pray. I mean, this is like our guideline for prayer. Some of the early theologians were like, no, that, that, it must, must represent something. It can't possibly mean like a slice of bread. It's got to mean more than that. And so, so some of them said, well, maybe it has to do with communion, the Lord's Supper, and some, maybe it refers to Jesus himself, some would say. Others thought that it, it, it speaks uh, of the word of God. Lord, give us uh, our daily bread from your word. And, and I think Calvin said it rightly when he said, this is exceedingly absurd. God does care about everyday things, and we should pray uh, about them. You know? The everyday things. You know, when you, when you sit down and have a meal, you thank the Lord for, for the most part. Don't you? It depends on how hungry you are. You know, sometimes we, we might want to pray the Lord afterwards and forget, you know. But, but we're thankful. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, you ought to be. Yeah, be thankful for your daily supply, your, your daily sustenance. The children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness and, and God's providing supernaturally for what could be a million to a two million people. We don't know how many people. I mean, that's like the entire city of Las Vegas walking to Barstow and God providing for, for the whole way there. Okay, that's the, in the middle of summer. Okay, that's the context. Okay, and, and, and he provides for them everything they need. And he provides manna for them. Uh, uh, food, bread, sustenance every day. They'd go out in the morning and there it was all over the place. And they'd take it and do whatever they did with it. And of course I had this conversation with my kids and kids asked the darnest questions, right? Well, Dad, every day? Yeah, every day for 40 years. That's all they ate? Well, you know, they had, they had, they had some quail on one occasion, you know, and I'm sure you know, they had water too. But, but every day, did they get tired of it? I mean, what was it? I go, yeah, that's it, manna. That's, what it is. that's kind of what it means. What is it? <laughs> they, they, they looked at it and went, what is it? And that's what manna means. Okay? And, and did they get tired of it? I go, I, I, I don't know. Well, what was it made of? I said, well, I don't know. But it, it probably had the, 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 it was probably like the perfect blend of protein and carbohydrates and vitamins and minerals. I mean, it's not, don't, don't think of like crackers, okay? I mean, this is from heaven. Because you have to have these, you know, and they're like, well, what, how did they survive on it? Well, you know, proteins, carbs, you know, minerals, com yeah, okay, complex carbohydrates. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure whatever it was, kids, it worked, okay? Don't get caught up into what was it? What, what exactly? No, I don't know. <laughs> but every day, every day, why? Because if they were going to head into the promised land and face the kind of big obstacles that were waiting for them, they would need the confidence to know that God would provide the small things for them, like bread, like bread, like bread. Proverbs uh, 30 says this, verse 8 through 10, Give me neither 
poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Interesting, huh? God, just give me what I need. You know, God promises to provide all of our needs, not our wants. He promises to provide all of our needs, not our wants. But guess what? He reserves the right to give you some wants too, if he so chooses to. Okay? Now this resonated well with many of the workers there that were paid daily. And in this culture, when we talk about day labor, it was enough to get by for the day. There wasn't a lot stored up. So the people, those day laborers are listening to this and they're going, oh, so, so I should be praying, God, give me what I need. Give me my daily bread. Because every time we do that, we're acknowledging, God, you know what? It all comes from you. God, if I've got bread on my table, it comes from you. I want to cultivate a heart that's thankful for the small things. Lord, thank you for this piece of toast, really. Thank you for the butter that I can spread on it. God, thank you. If we're thankful in the small things and we recognize that even the smallest of things like a slice of bread comes from God. Boy, that's a, that's a heavenly perspective, isn't it? And so when some difficult times or some hardship comes or, or some difficult things happen, where our, our dependence will be on him. Now, Philippians 4.12 says this, For I know how to get along with humble means, Paul the Apostle says. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul said there's a secret to that. Uh, the Lord's going to talk about wealth uh, later on in chapter 6. We'll get to that maybe next week. Uh, he's going to talk about that, and, and, and that, so that fits right in with that. So the Lord goes on and he says, when you're praying and you're thankful for the small things, and before you've brought your needs, Lord, thank him for the things he's provided. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Now, what are our debts? Like we owe God something? No, God, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us. He, he likens our sin against God as a debt. And see, that's why your debt can't be paid by simply following your conscience. Your debt has to be paid by someone, Jesus, who died and rose from the grave, that we would have forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You know, I think it's a good idea to have a clean slate every day. You know what, is, there, is everything clear between us, Lord? Did I use your name in vain? Did I disrespect someone? Did I not do something that you, you, you have? I sinned today, Lord. Have I, uh, 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 have I piled up a debt today by my words or my reactions uh, with others? Uh, Jesus, let me make this point. Jesus is not teaching that believers earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Listen, Jesus is not teaching that believers earn forgiveness by forgiving others, lest that would be a work, Right? And that contradicts the law of grace and mercy. But if we've experienced God's grace and mercy, we see the enormity of our own sin. 
we see this massive debt that we have before God. <clears throat> and therefore, it's easier to forgive others their debt against us. Every wedding I do, I say these words. <clears throat> you will never have to forgive your spouse as much as the Lord has already forgiven you. And so he says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally, that means don't lead us into a test. Satan always tempts us to lead us away and into sin. The Lord will test us to draw us closer to him. James 1.13 says, God promises to keep us from testing beyond our limits. He does, however, allow his kids, the Lord does, to go through times of testing. And this petition in reality expresses a healthy distrust of one's own ability to resist temptations or stand up under trial. See, it's the prideful person that says, no, I got this. No, I can handle this. No, you know what? I'll stand strong. And it's like, brother, you need to be humble and recognize that anybody can fall at any time. Lord, deliver us from evil. <clears throat> I'm not depending on my own ability. It acknowledges complete dependence on the Lord. Just as we rely on his provision for our bread, we rely on his provision for our forgiveness. So it wraps up and says this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some translations may not have that because a lot of the early manuscripts don't have that. The majority of them do, but some don't. So some of the translations uh, that we have don't have it in there. Okay? John Calvin said this about that. I think this is cool. He says, it should not only warm our hearts to press toward the glory of God, but also to tell us that all our prayers have no other foundation other than God alone. Now, this is, this is so, so, so to the glory of the Lord, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then just to give a little bit more clarification, verse 14 and 15, before he kind of moves on to the next subject. Okay? <clears throat> For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your uh, transgressions. And so I think this is the importance of having a forgiving spirit. After prayer, and remember, he starts off with our Father who art in heaven, speaking of community. And now he brings it back to that at the end. And this is the importance of having a forgiving spirit. Remember, Jesus told us uh, and started his prayer in the plural, our Father, forgive us our debts. And so praying turns out as a family affair. And if the family isn't getting along, how can they claim to have a right relationship with God? People outside the church say, you know what, man, all the church does is argue at one another and they divide on every kind of issue and they're not together. May that never be. Fellowship and forgiveness go together. Listen, if I'm not forgiving, I'm not in fellowship. If I'm not forgiving, I'm not in fellowship. Okay, that's why he says, settle your accounts 
quickly. That's why he says, if you know there's a brother who has an issue against you, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer because there's a breach in your fellowship with God. There's a, there's a, that, that river is not flowing because it's, there's, you've not forgiven. And, and you know what? I understand forgiveness is a process. It's not always something that you, that you can do right away. It's not something where you have to feel like a second-rate Christian if you're not willing to forgive someone. But because of what Christ has done in our life, the Lord wants us to be on that path of forgiveness and to say, you know what, man, I'm not there yet, but by God's grace, one day I will, but I'm just not there right now. You know, that's okay. But to say, I will never forgive that person for that. You know, man, there's some harsh things that happen to us. But I don't know that as followers who have received the grace and the mercy of God that we can ever say that in the long term. I get emotions and hurt and feeling. Well, I tell you, there's, there are people in my life, one in particular, that, 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 that you know, I, I, mean, I never, ever would forgive. No way. No way. Ever. Ever. Yeah, then I became born again. And I, and I received the forgiveness of God. And the mercy and grace of God. And it just so touched my heart. And the Lord began to speak to me. You know, it wasn't right away. I didn't become a Christian and right away, you need to go ask that person for forgiveness. No, it wasn't that. It was a process. And it came to a point where the Holy Spirit saying, okay, you need, to, you need to start at least thinking about this. I'm like, oh, no, Lord. No, we're not going down that road. I'm just brand new with this. This is too much all at once. And the Holy Spirit is patient and, and he'll, he'll wait and he'll bring it up again. And then someone else, you'll hear some word about forgiveness. And then, oh, there goes the Lord again. And, 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 and sure enough, it, I, it became really clear that I had a phone call to make. And that was a hard phone call. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this only because you're telling me to do it. No, no. I needed to do it because you know what? It was, just, it was about me. It wasn't about the other person. It was about me. And it was about me having a clean plate. So I called that person and, man, left a message. And I thought, great, I'm done. I don't have to deal with this. And you know what? I got a phone call two weeks later, early on a Saturday morning. This is before caller ID because I would have never answered it. I'm going back to bed. Lord, I know that's not you getting a call at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And I picked it up, and it, was, and it was the voice on the other end. I didn't even recognize it at first, and then I recognized it. And I was like, oh, Lord, you are so good. You caught me early before I could even think about this. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, and you know what? It wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. It wasn't as hard. And even there were some words that came back that were still, like, cutting you know, and, and but but I had I had just I had already released it in my heart. It was just a matter of making the call or whatever it was. And for me I felt like that was the way to do it. I felt like I had to meet face to face. I wasn't ready to do that. Uh, but 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 you know, made the call and, and got the call and, and you know what? I, I felt like even when, when kinda like a little sword came my way, it was I didn't get defensive and like what what okay it, you know what well what do I expect you know I, I expected you to say something like you know get in some argument I just kind of because because I had I had already forgiven in my heart see and 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 that's I think what what the Lord's talking about is having that 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 willingness and when it comes to those in the in the body of Christ fellowship and forgiveness go together 
If I'm not in fellowship with my brother, I can't pray effectively. If I'm not in fellowship, if there's a breach in my fellowship with my sister, I can't pray effectively. I've got to do all that I can to pursue peace, whether that person will receive it or not is between them and God. But it what? It cleans my plate. It cleans my plate. Peter says, bring it to the home. Husbands, if you're not willing, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, hear me, men, hear me, hear me, don't play. <laughs> I'm serious now. I'm talking face to face. And I'm talking to myself too. I'm talking to myself. Husbands, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered. Husbands, if you're living in an, in an, with unforgiveness toward your spouse, your prayers will be hindered. That's powerful, but it speaks to what the Lord is saying. And that's all right. We can hear it. This is how we should pray. This is how we should pray. Have you encountered the love of Jesus today? One of the things that we want to do with every opportunity is to give you that opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ. If you've never received Jesus Christ, that today you would say, you know what, Lord, today is my day. You understand that you have a debt before God. And I think when I finally crossed over, when I finally gave my life to Jesus, I just recognized my sinful condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? That's where I was. I recognized, man, I, I, I have this massive debt that I've rung up with God, and there's no way I can pay it. There's no way. There's no way. God, I need forgiveness. I need it, and only you can provide it. And you know what? If you've not received the love of Jesus, then I want to encourage you to have a conversation with your Father who is in heaven. And you can approach him just like that. He's ready and willing. And he's already been listening to you. Um, have that conversation with him. Um, also, we like to invite you into Koinonia. Are you part of a light group? Are you part of a couples group? Are you part of a, 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 a service on Wednesday or a Bible study on Thursday, lady study, men's study. There was a gentleman that came Wednesday night and he just was in a tough, tough spot. And, and you know what I said? I said, brother, you need to link arms with other men. Come Thursday night to men's group. And I don't know if he came or not, but you know what? We all need that. And I'm going to say it every time we speak. Every, every door that leads into this ministry, I'm going to say, are you, have you encountered the love of Jesus and are you in fellowship? Do not isolate yourself. I was explaining to another man what happens, and you've heard the illustration of when, when you have all the, all the coals in a pyramid, and they're fiery hot, and one of them rolls off by its side, and it, that never even fires up. Why? Because it rolled off of the, off the pile. Are you connected? Christian, don't, 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 don't make a... You must be connected with one another. It's a vital part of our life with Christ. And I'm calling you into that. We call it koinonia, because that's what the Bible calls it. Fellowship, intimacy, 
There's a wall out there uh, uh, that you could uh, check out the Bible studies that we have. Bill, come on up, brother. And uh, if you need to get connected, uh, by all means, do that. Bill's going to lead us in our missions offering this morning. Thank you, brother.